I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where our teaching will be found this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves, because you had become very dear to us. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask that he will be our teacher this morning. Oh, Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for truth. We thank you for your promises that are found here. And as we open your word now, I, I do pray as we pray every Sunday morning that truly you would be the one who would affect our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, not just for the folks this morning as we have gathered, but Lord, as we think about this upcoming week of Vacation Bible School, Lord, as, as 100 plus kids will be in the sanctuary tomorrow morning, Lord, we pray that your same Holy Spirit, that we are begging to come and speak to us now, would speak throughout the week. And draw kids, draw us all closer to you, Lord Jesus. So we thank you now for this time and we give it to you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, two weekends ago, I had the opportunity to attend my 30th high school class reunion. I don't know if any of y'all were there. Uh, I don't remember seeing you at the Loudoun County 1989 high school reunion, but it was a great time, I assure you, in downtown beautiful Loudoun, Tennessee. Uh, there's something, uh, well, it's kind of a preacher's dream that I got enough sermon illustrations to last for another 10 years until our next reunion after seeing all of my old buddies that I hadn't seen for 10 years. Uh, but one of the things that happened uh, at the reunion, of the many funny things that happened, is that my wife, Lisa, got to see a, a lot of pictures that she had never seen of me and I hadn't seen for a long time. And one of those, uh, the senior superlatives, which are voted on by your classmates, I, I won two superlatives. I was most dignified. I don't know if that's not meant to be a joke, but I was voted most dignified. <laughs> but I was also voted most courteous. Uh, so there was a male, female counterpart. So Lisa saw the picture of me with the girl that we were voted most courteous. And Lisa held up the picture and said, is that you? And I looked at it and said, yeah, that's still what I look like, right? 
And she was like, uh, no, uh, I'm 40 pounds lighter. My hair is dark. It, it, it didn't look a whole lot like me. But you know what was kind of funny about that is that Lisa got a joke or got a laugh out of the joke of what I looked like 30 years ago. When I was scrolling through the pictures of that night and looking at me and this same girl as we had our picture taken 30 years later, I looked at the picture and I was like, is that what I look like now? In my mind, I still look like I did in 1989. Is that really me? And Lisa's like, oh yeah, that's exactly what you look like right now. You know, we got a, a, a good laugh about that and I appreciate you laughing about what I look like now as well. But, you know, the point is, when we see who we really are, when we accept the truth of who we really are, then there is freedom to enjoy. And what I hope we see from our passage this morning, when we are, see who we really are in Jesus Christ and what Jesus says is true of us, the corresponding result is that we are free to enjoy him in such a way that it affects our life in every single aspect of our lives. Simply put, our lives are different when we see the freedom that is ours in Christ. So that's what I hope that we'll see this morning. So you think about this passage, I want you to think about, as Robert has been preaching through the book of Acts, that as the gospel goes forth to city after city after city with the early church, what you see is our theology arise, our church practices that we have now comes from these letters, like what we have in 1 Thessalonians, where Paul preached the gospel, people came to Christ, churches were planted, and as he corresponded with them, our life, our practice, our doctrine comes from these letters. And my prayer for us, my proposition for us this morning again, it really comes not so much from exactly what Paul said, but what he did as a follower of Jesus Christ himself with the Spirit of God inside of him. I want you to see his freedom, and it was the freedom that existed for the Thessalonians, and it's the same freedom that we have as followers of Jesus now. So two things I want to highlight from Paul's personal story here. First... To enjoy freedom in Christ, our problems do not define us. And secondly, our words really do reveal us. Our freedom in Christ, our problems do not define us. Our words, our words, they really do reveal us. And I hope and pray that we'll see just the freedom that we have to enjoy him this morning. So first... Our problems do not define us. Look back at verse 1. I'm so glad this verse is in the Bible. It seems so small, it seems so insignificant, but I think it is gold. Paul said that his visit to Thessalonica was not in vain. Or some translations might say a failure. The definition of vain here is to be thought of as something that was a waste of time or unimportant. And we can read this passage and think, well, why on earth would Paul have thought it was a waste of time? I mean, the letter's in the Bible. We've been reading it for 2,000 years. But that's not what the original audience might have been tempted to think. They could have easily thought that Paul's time with them, in fact, had been a huge disappointment. They could have easily thought it had been a huge failure. They could have easily thought, indeed, it was a waste of time. If you read Acts chapter 17, you get the rest of the story of what happened when Paul went to Thessalonica and then why he had to write a letter to them so quickly after he left. 
We see that Paul and his team went to this location. It was a strategic plan that they had. They were going to go there. They were going to serve the Lord. They were going to preach the gospel. They were going to be apostles. And they were going to stay until the Lord had them leave. They had a length in time of how long they had hoped to be there. But that's not what happened. In a very, very short period of time, Paul was forced to leave in the middle of the night. Because the leadership of this city rejected the message that he was preaching. And they wanted him and they wanted all of his people out of the city. So here's the picture. Here's Paul, follower of Jesus, with the spirit of God inside of him, just like us. He's got a plan. He has prayed. He has sought the Lord. He has sought the will of the Lord. He's acting in faith. He's walking in faith. He's living by faith. And in the midst of that... It appears that everything fell apart. He was planning to stay for the city much, much longer than he was allowed to stay. He's now put his life, his ministry, and his associates in danger. It would appear that the mission sending agency over Paul had made a tremendous mistake. The plan was for him to stay. But rather, in the middle of his God-ordained plan, he had to flee for his life. By all appearances, this was a disaster. This was a failure. But notice Paul's words. He's not reporting a disaster. He's not reporting a failed strategic plan. Rather, Paul's language drips with the realization that he is so connected to Jesus Christ that his life is now so hidden in Christ That even if God has changed his plans, that is not so much of a problem as it is Jesus is revealing his will to him. You see, throughout this passage, we see our union with Jesus so full and so complete that it compels Paul to not look at the problem, but to look at his Savior. That's what's going on. Notice the confidence in his words. Paul does not say, I sure hope our time wasn't a failure. He does not say, I'm so sorry that I had to leave early. No, here is a man pursuing the will of Christ, living in faith, trusting Jesus with the details of his work. And when his plans are not what he suspected they would be, he had total confidence in what God was doing in his life. You see, in our natural way of thinking... When our plans do not go according to the way that we hope that they will go, we have a tendency to think God is no longer involved, I'm the one driving the ship, and I'm the one making the decisions here. Even though we have prayed, even though we have asked the Lord for help, when things go awry, it's easy to get really frustrated, even with our Savior. And you see that if God is truly our creator, if he is truly our loving Father, then our lives must now take on an entirely different perspective. We now live with union with Jesus Christ. Our lives are now to be lived in such a way that we live in faith, we seek his guidance, we invest in his kingdom, and we have to understand that no matter what the results are, we have not wasted time when we have pursued him. Even when it feels like it's nothing more than a big mess. You see, our union with Christ is based on the fact that Jesus Christ is right now alive. 
that he rose from the dead, he ascended to be with his Father, and he has put his Spirit inside of us. And since he has conquered death, Jesus now faces no problems. So in the problems that we face, the circumstances that are part of our daily lives, we are not to look upon them as our destiny. Rather, we are to look upon Christ as the one who is leading us. You know, when I say that problems don't define us, here's, here's what I mean. Christians are not people who are absent of issues. Uh, this would be a time where if you said amen, it would be appropriate. We are not people who are immune to things not going our way. Our plans, our prayed for plans often fall apart. We don't just snap our fingers and ask God's blessing on something and everything goes exactly the way we wish it would. And if that's your hope or that's your faith this morning, I guarantee you're going to be really disappointed inside the kingdom of Christ. You see, rather, we are people who live by faith even when we are confused. If you look throughout Scripture, there's no one who lived by faith who is not immune to huge problems. Abraham traveled without knowing where he was going. Moses was a leader of a group of people who complained all the time. Joseph was wrongly imprisoned. He was lied to. He was lied about. He was betrayed. David ran for his life only because King Saul was jealous of him. And yet the list can go on and on and on and on. And yet none of these was wasting their time. None of these, as they lived by faith, was living in vain. No, God was doing something in and through their lives beyond what they could have ever pictured. You see, our problems don't define us. That's not our definition. It's not our status. Who we are are sons and daughters of the king. And he has a plan beyond what we can see. Friday morning, Will and I were talking about this. Uh, as, as we were teeing off, we were talking about this. And uh, you know, I, I had a couple questions about the history of campus outreach that I knew, but I wanted to connect the dots because I was thinking about this passage and Paul and his ministry and whatnot. And if you've been around our church for a while, you know campus outreach has been here for 15 years in Kentucky and the Lord has done amazing work through this ministry. There would not be a Hope Presbyterian Church now if it hadn't been for campus outreach and how the Lord has blessed this. But did you know for the first five years that Will and his team were here, they debated every single year, should we just pack up and go back home? It's not working. Will had gout and could hardly do anything. Finances were constantly an issue. The church they had hoped to partner with fell apart. There was one problem after another, after another, after another. It would have been easy for Will to say, you know what? It's in vain. It's wasted time. Let's just go back and start all over. But yet you see inside of Christ's kingdom, what he does with what we perceive as problems is that he molds us, he bends us, he changes us along the way. God's goodness to his people is not chiefly revealed with a problem-free life. Our hard times were not in vain. They were never wasted. No, God was doing a work in us. 
As I look back over my life, and I would encourage you to look back over yours, I guarantee you there's never been a time as we pursued the Lord that there were not difficult problems and circumstances all around us. And yet there was never a time when Jesus Christ did not say, you are mine, I am yours, and I live inside of you. You see, for us as followers of Jesus, when issues arise, or even when we are sinned against, when we are victims of injustice, we never lose our connection to him. Never. So can you see this morning that whatever you're facing, whatever circumstance is there, what defines you is the title that is over you. And that is you are the blood-bought children of God. Paul is saying, I don't care if I have to run for my life outside of this city. I don't care if they chase me. I don't care if they catch me. I belong to Jesus Christ. Yes, this is real. Yes, this is a problem. But it's not who I am. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus. So for you this morning, with whatever's going on, may I plead with you to keep hoping in his redemption. To keep praying for your wayward children. To keep serving even though you do not see the results. To keep persevering no matter how difficult it may appear. Keep living by faith. Your problem doesn't identify you. Your Savior does. If you want to be free to enjoy the truth then be free to enjoy what he says about you and not what this world surrounds you with. You're free in Christ. Your problems, they do not define you. But secondly, look back at verses two through eight and see how our words really do reveal us. Again, Paul's life is a bit of a unique position. He was an apostle set apart to do a very, very visible task that none of us have the exact same calling this morning. But yet as a follower of the same Jesus, being led by the same spirit which led him, we now join with him that we really are the ambassadors of Christ. We really do give his fragrance to a lost world. We really are the instrument by which the Lord uses to draw people unto himself. Now with the spirit of God inside of us, we're making statements about Jesus, either verbally or non-verbally, every single day. And our presentation of Jesus is meant to be seen as the greatest honor that we could ever imagine. That we get to be the spokesperson for the great high king. We get to declare his excellencies compared to all else. We're the mouthpiece of royalty. Our lives bear his witness. But yet, notice what Paul had to do here. He had to explain himself. He had to defend himself. Rather than just encourage these Christians that his visit wasn't in vain, in the fallenness and the sinfulness of the world, he needed to instruct them about his actual motives. He needed to instruct them that his motives were pure as he was sharing. But notice what was going on inside of Paul's heart. His goal was not to impress anyone. He didn't need to show off his giftedness. He wasn't interested in others seeing his clever personality. He needed nothing from those people with whom he engaged in dialogue. 
He didn't need them at all. He loved them. He was willing to die for them. But his life was not contingent upon what they thought of him. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. How freeing would it be for your soul not to need the approval of anyone? That's freedom. That's what Paul had. Because of his union with Jesus Christ and him being approved by Christ, he did not need your approval of him at all. Can you dream of that? Where you don't need the approval of anyone. That's what's true of us as followers of Christ. He wasn't bound by the opinion of his friends. He wasn't bound by the opinion of his associates, not of his family, not of others, not of other Christians, not of his enemies. He was free. He was free to do and to be what God had called him to be. And friends, in Christ, so are we. His only ambition was to fulfill his calling. His calling was to be an apostle. His calling was, he was approved in the past so that he could now declare who Christ is. In our union with Jesus, we now are that free. The blood of Jesus has washed away all of our sin, all of our shame, and now we can stand before the presence of God in freedom. God looks upon us as he looks at Christ. So Paul really could confidently, boldly, and without fear, and full of love, Declare the measure of this freedom and deliverance in Christ. Again, imagine this freedom. So that now, when we represent Jesus with our words, we're not just checking off a box to make us feel good about ourselves. No, no, Jesus checked off that box. We can feel good about ourselves. We're not sharing to impress other people. No, 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 we can't impress other people. Jesus is impressed because he died for us. It's not to make other people feel good about us. No, Jesus already does. So here's the deal. Our words reveal what's inside of our heart. Our conversations reveal our motives. And what we talk about reveal what our hearts are most passionate about. We talk about that which we love, those which we love. So pay attention this week in your conversations. What you love, what you're passionate about, that's what's going to come out in your conversation. Paul was free to talk about Christ because he knew how loved he was by a Savior. You know, I share this as kind of a sad story. I love the Cincinnati Reds. I have since childhood. I'm a covenant child of Pete Rose. I think about this. And for 48 years, it has pretty much only given me disappointment. Bad teams, bad trades, bad managers, bad players, bad seasons, bad decades. It just goes on and on and on. But every year in April, when I talk about the Reds, if you listen to the content of my mouth, you think the new center fielder is the next coming of Mickey Mantle. And yet year after year after year, it's the same disappointment. You see, what we talk about reveals our heart. What's inside of our heart comes out of our mouth. It's the content of the words. If I talk with excitement 
about that which only produces misery. That's not freedom. You see, if your hope for freedom comes only from that which you can find in this world, and that which will be revealed by what you discuss, you'll never enjoy the life that God has made possible for you. Jesus has set you free to enjoy him. I think Paul's words here reveal the ongoing danger of our hearts, that we're prone to always live in some element of comparing ourselves to other people, hoping to impress someone, needing to flatter someone so that they will think something else of us, using friends for our benefit manipulating relationships. And can we all just agree this morning that living to impress others is an ongoing cycle that is nothing more than exhausting. And it's never produced freedom. And it never will. It dishonors Christ and it competes against him. And Jesus has declared the whole time, you are mine. You're free from the opinion of the world. You have the opinion of the creator of the world. Think back to the Lord's Prayer as we prayed earlier in the service. If this is truly your desire, that the kingdom of Jesus will not only be part of your ongoing conversations, but that it will flavor every part of your life, then you can trust him at all times. You see, in our union with Christ... God shows us again and again and again his greatness. So let me ask you this morning, whose opinion are you most hungry to hear from? Who do you most want to hear their accolade of you? Who captures your heart with their affection? Can you see the truth? That even if you get it, it won't last It will always disappoint. The greatest opinion is the one who made you. And he is crazy about you. Paul could complete whatever task he was given without any worry or fear of what other people thought of him because he understood what Christ said of him. You're free this morning from the opinion of anyone else. Oh Lord, help us see this. I dare imagine 10 years from now, if the Lord hasn't returned and I'm still alive, I'll go to my 40th reunion. I don't know if Lisa will join me this time or not, but I'm going to go. Good gracious, I have no idea what I'm going to look like then compared to 40 years earlier. I suspect it's going to look a lot like my dad does. And yet what the Lord is doing inside of our lives, inside of our hearts, is he is reminding us again and again and again Your problems do not define you, Jesus does. Your words really do reveal you. And what comes out of your mouth is the reality that Christ loves us. So now as we prepare to come to his table, can I remind you again that Jesus had an incredible problem and it was our sin and he has taken it from us. And Jesus incredibly loves you and he desires you. And out of the overflow of his mouth comes your very salvation. So as you come to this table this morning, you come feasting upon the goodness of Jesus Christ. Let me pray now and ask that he'll prepare us as we come.
So, Father, as we uh, come now to your table and we think about, Jesus, what you have done and the freedom that you have given to us, oh, Father, would you, in a way in which only you can do, would you remind us of our freedom? Father, I pray that we would be a church, that we would be a congregation, that we would be a city who embraces who you are, embraces what you have done, and celebrates our new reality in you. You are our great joy. May we enjoy you today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.